I'm Matthew Tilly. Some of y'all know me, some of y'all don't. Um, but for those of you that do know me, um, it does feel good to be back home in some ways. Um, for us, my family, um, I, I don't know if any of y'all use this kind of language, but I, I think of this church as our mother church. This is kind of, we go to other places and I've been pastoring some places and uh, we're going to get settled in somewhere here real soon. Probably won't be here because unless we get moved, uh, but this will always be the mother church in a, central, in a sense for us. Y'all know Vanessa's, many of y'all know her father. She grew up here. Um, I, I mentioned it at the 930. I don't know if Mike Prim's here, if he's listening, but uh, she never has gotten under submission. She's, <laughs> she's, still, she's still like she is, but she grew up here. And uh, the Lord uh, used this church to, um, I'd say, spiritually mature me, get me to a place where I would be willing to answer his call to, to be a pastor, to be a preacher. Uh, this church ordained me, so I want to say to y'all, if y'all didn't know you did it, thank you. Um, I appreciate you doing it. Um, most recently, we were uh, at McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. That was where I was serving most recently. And I believe the Lord put us there. I believe that was exactly where we needed to be at the time that we were there. Um, I do believe because of circumstances and uh, the leading of the Lord, it was the right thing to leave at that time. The bad news is I don't know what I'm going to do next. I get to preach here today and then after tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll figure that out uh, from there. But seriously, um, I was grateful for that opportunity. And, and your pastor, I mentioned it to the folks at 930 as well. I'll mention it to you. You have a very good pastor. He is a good man, a godly man. Um, he has been one who's been, I think, genuinely concerned for me and my family, and I, I'm very grateful for that. So I hope, it, I hope if, if you don't like him, again, like he said, just keep it to yourself. But um, if you don't like him, get over it and fi you know, figure out that God's put him here. And uh, y'all need, need to enjoy that. Um, do pray for our family. We are trying to figure out what the Lord has for us next. I believe that the Lord has put me in um, the position to be a pastor. We'll figure out when he opens the right door at the right time. In the meantime, I'm just going to work and study and do what he tells me to do until that happens. But y'all pray for us. I'd appreciate it. But I've been invited today not to give you a, a rundown of my family. Although, I don't know what happened to y'all. Y'all are getting all old around here. <laughs> we didn't change a bit. Not a bit. But, uh, but I didn't come to get a rundown of my family. I came to preach, um, something I love to do. I, I, I do love preaching. And I have long wanted, so forgive the unnecessary, and maybe you're like, what in the world's wrong with that fellow? One, I told you I was nervous. But another, I have a long time really wanted to preach from this pulpit. Never done that before. And I've had it first, first time for me. So it uh, means something to me. Amen. So thank Amen. you. So... I'm going to um, have you to re, uh, find in your copy of the scripture, the last book of the Bible. I think the preacher already mentioned that, but if you'll find that, we'll be in Revelation chapter 22. If y'all ever have a hard time finding passages of scripture, some of y'all do, this one should be real easy. Just go to the very back, flip past those concordance pages, and then the last words in the Bible. That's what we're going to look at. For Revelation chapter 22, I'll begin with verse 7. I'm going to read down to verse 21. I, I'm going to make some comments. I'm going to preach. I'm going to apply some things, try to give that to you. But I think you'll um, <clears throat> not do better than just reading what he says and listening to God's word. 
So if you're able to, don't know if this is a tradition y'all do or not, but I'm going to ask you to stand as I read the Lord's words. I'm going to begin in verse, or Revelation chapter 22, begin in verse 7. I'm going to read down to the final word in verse 21. This is our Lord speaking. A lot of your Bible may be in red, and this is Jesus' words. And here's what he says. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard, when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them that keep the say, which keep the saying of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according to as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and they enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I will testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I'm asking you to take your word and bless it. I'm asking you to take your word and put it into the hearts and the minds of the people that are hearing, both in this sanctuary as well as um, on the screens that they may be watching. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and take the thoughts that are here in my, the, my, my mouth and, and, and Help me to explain and expose and to emphasize what needs to be explained, exposed, and emphasized. But ultimately, would you take it and, and convince and convict the hearts that are listening? I'm asking this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. In this passage, there's uh, something that Jesus says three times. Now, y'all do know if Jesus says it one time, that's enough. He doesn't have to say it a whole lot. But he says it three times in this passage. He says, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. He says twice. The third time he says, surely I come quickly. But nonetheless, the idea is very similar in all three of those that he's coming quickly. 
It's quickly, I want to say to you, it's first a statement of surety. He is coming. He says, I come. I will come. In fact, this is something he said while he was here walking on this earth among us in John chapter 14. He quote, it's quoted by saying, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. He said, I am coming. It's a foregone conclusion. I'm not giving you new information in this verse. This is simply reminding us of what he's already told us. I'm coming. It's a foregone conclusion. Now, there have been and will continue to be some people in this world, maybe even in this room, that are doubters of that. As Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And there are going to be people, and there are people, and there will continue to be people, and there have always been people who will say, ah, I don't know if he's coming. I don't know when he's coming. Maybe, maybe. I don't know if I would interpret it that way. I don't know if I would see it that way. And I understand some of the thinking that people have, but when Jesus says, I'm coming, I don't know how else to take what he's saying other than, I'm coming. So we can ignore the doubters. We can ignore those who want to interpret away Jesus' words. We can simply say, when Jesus said he's coming, he's coming. So it's a statement of surety, but it's also a stage, statement of urgency. He says, I come quickly. It's not going to be next week, next year. So we don't know when it's going to be, we understand. But in the scheme of things, it's going to happen urgently. He is coming, and it's coming soon. I love that song, it's just any day now, our Lord is coming. He'll be returning for you and me. For I've been watching and I've been waiting just any day now. His face I'll see. I'm not going to sing it for you, but man, we ought to have that song in our hearts. We ought to have that song in our hearts. Any day now, he's coming. But he's also saying here, behold, I come quickly. Now, he could have just said, I come quickly. He could have done that. Got his point across. But he says in two places, behold, I come quickly. He says, behold, he's saying in much the same way I, that I might say to you later on in my sermon when you doze off, wake up, pay attention. Look at what I'm saying. Something's happening here. Look at this. Behold is what he is saying. Listen. The reason he's saying that is because we're asleep. But what happens to many of us I know it happens to me, so I imagine it happens to a couple of y'all, is you get off mission a little bit. You, you know what you're supposed to do. You heard the words. You, you know it, what's right, but you kind of lose sight of what's supposed to happen. You get asleep. You get lazy. You get lax, and you're just not paying attention like you should. And Jesus says, you got to pay attention. Behold, look at this. You're not the first to ever have that happen to you, and you won't be the last. Uh, the story in Acts where the apostles were seeing Jesus and he's talking to them, giving their last words. And he says to them, among other things, you need to go and tell the whole world about me. And they watch him as he goes up into heaven. I don't know how long they stood there, but apparently it was long enough for them to be standing there. That angel had to come down and says, hey, fellas, listen, <laughs> why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? He's coming back. He's going to come back. You've got something to do. He told you to do something. Go do that thing. As Paul wrote in Romans 13, it is high time to wake out of sleep. Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. You see, 
Jesus is coming soon. It is an absolute certainty he is coming. It is an urgent message that we need to be reminded of. And it is time for us to wake up and start paying attention. Jesus told us three times, coming quickly, look out, I'm coming quickly, watch it, I'm coming quickly. And I want to just take my message from those three places where he says that, the, the context around each of those. So if you are taking notes or paying attention to that, you'll see my, my outline really lines up with those three messages that he says, behold, I come quickly three times. In that first one, in verse 7, he says, right after he says, behold, I come quickly, he says, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this book. He's saying, you need to pay attention to God's word. You need to pay attention. Now, the sayings of those, this book of the prophecy, certainly he's speaking of prophecy, but ultimately he is speaking of this entire word, the revealed word of God that he has given to us. He's saying, you need to keep that. This is the thing, you need to pay attention to that. Now, now part of keeping that is you can't keep what you don't know. You can't keep it if you don't understand it. So you need to take some time, if you don't already, to get into the Word of God. You need to open the book. You need to read the book. You need to study the book. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand the book. You need to do those things. If you're not doing that, then you can't keep it. You can't keep what you don't know. So there's an aspect to which you have to... Take some time to understand it, to study it. But you also can't keep it, and rather you're not keeping it, if you're not paying attention to it, if you're not heeding it. You might know all the right answers. You might be able to pass the test. You might know what the information holds, but if you don't obey it, you're, you're not keeping it. So you most, you most certainly must understand it, but you also need to obey it. You see, the scripture must be paid attention to in that we need to study it and we need to respect it. Uh, too many of us are treating it like most sports teams do their mascot. It's kind of interesting, maybe a little entertaining, something you look at, but it's not really what's going to win or lose the game. Your mascot could be beat down by the other mascot and you still win the game or vice versa. The, the mascot's not relevant to the game. It's entertainment. It's, a, it's, a, it's the parsley on the plate of, of a steak. It is something extra. It's not the thing. And to many of us believers, and I'm talking to a church full of people who may or may not be Christians, but I want to talk to the Christians for just a minute. It's too many Christians who will say, this is the word of God and I believe every word in it, but live as if you don't even know what's in the book. We have to keep the word of God. It cannot be a mascot. It can't just be a flag we wave. It must be something we hold as the words of God to be heard, understood, and obeyed. So we have to keep, we have to know his word. We have to keep the sayings. But he goes on in verse 8 to say that John, after he sees all these things, and all these things, any number of things we could be seeing here, but definitely we could think about the whole revelation of Jesus Christ of the book and John sees some pretty amazing things, some hard to understand things, some hard to explain things. I mean, he describes things probably the best he could, but man, that'd be hard to describe some of that stuff. So he's seeing these things and they're overwhelming. And what he is want to do, his immediate response in verse 8 is, when I heard what I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the angel. See, there was this angel that was showing John all around and showing him what to see. And here, you need to look at this, you need to hear this. And that was the angel that John was bound down to worship. And it wasn't the first time that he had done it. If you go to chapter 19, he does the same thing again. Because this angel 
if I were to see it and you were to see it, we'd be like, wow, <laughs> this angel is amazing. And he does. He bows down to worship this angel. But in chapter 19, that angel said, listen, the testimony of, of Jesus is the spirit of, of, of prophecy. He says, I'm not trying to show you anything about myself. I'm not trying to show you anything about how great of an angel I am. I'm actually trying to point you to Jesus. That's who I want, to, want you to see. Which is why he says here in your text in chapter 22, verse 9, see thou do it not. He says, you're, you're missing it. If you're going to do what Jesus says and keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book, you're going to stop worshiping everything else and you're going to worship the one. The one who is the testimony of prophecy. The one who is the point of the scripture. The one who is revealed in the pages of the word of God. And his name is Jesus. It's really easy to get distracted and mesmerized by so much, isn't it? And if y'all can't say amen, I can say right now, amen. There's so much I can get distracted by. There's so much buying for my attention. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but there's so much. And I want you to hear what this angel is saying. Don't worship that stuff. There's no preacher. There is no politician. There is no practice of any kind of tradition. There is no preferred method of doing things, preferred method of worship. None of those things are worthy of your worship. Don't hear me wrong. I didn't say they weren't necessarily good, that they might not be things you can listen to. But we got to be careful because what happens is we start erring on the side of worshiping these things. And the angel is telling us here, do it not. Do you know who's coming again quickly? Forgive me, but it's not President Trump. Certainly it's not President Biden. Do you know who's coming again quickly? It's not an independent Baptist preacher. Do you know who's coming again quickly? It's, it's, not, it's not your bank account. Do you know who's coming again quickly? It's Jesus who's coming again quickly. He's the one that must be worshipped now and in eternity. You see... Heaven is going to be just one big eternal effort towards exalting Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't like worshiping Jesus now, you're absolutely going to hate every minute of heaven. So we have to see that if we're going to keep the scripture, we're going to keep the sayings of this book, then we have to see the whole point of the Bible is Jesus. It's pointing us to Jesus, so we better get in the book and see what it's talking to us about Jesus. And in fact, go on in verse 10 and see that he says, the angel tells John, he says, seal up, seal not up the, the sayings of the prophecy for the time is at hand. Because if you will actually get in the word and obey the word, it's going to tell you when the end is here. It's going to tell you exactly what you need to know. And in fact, we need to know that Jesus already told us what is happening now was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24. He told us there would be a lot of people coming to try to give us the answer, try to solve our problems, try to save us from everything. There would be even, they would be so good at their jobs that even believers, if, if they could be deceived, they would be deceived by them. They would turn against each other. They would persecute the believers. They would, they would betray the believers. They would, he said, this is what would happen. This is how the end would come. And the angel saying, the end is here. The time is at hand. 
In verses 10 and 11, he makes a reference. If you want to make this note and chase this down a little bit later, you certainly are welcome to it. But he makes a note that's referring back to Daniel chapter, 10, uh, chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the angel there who's telling Daniel about some end times prophecies there, he says, go ahead and seal that up. It's not ready just yet. He says, it's just not time. It's not time. It's not time. But the angel now saying, you know all that stuff I told Daniel about? It's time. Amen. Let's open that book up. Amen. Daniel also, he said, that angel tells Daniel in that time, he says, now, you know, right now, it's not time. But when it is time, if they're wise, they'll straighten up. Amen. They'll pay attention. But fools, they'll just keep on like there's no tomorrow. They'll just keep on doing what they're going to do. Which is why in verse 11, he says... If you're unjust, just keep on being unjust. If you're filthy, just keep on being, being filthy. If you're, but on the other hand, if you're righteous, you'll just, you better keep on being righteous. The point was that fools just continue, but the wise understand. How are you going to be wise? Certainly it's not your brain. Certainly not your heart. But it's getting in the word of God, paying attention to what the scripture tells us, and obeying the scripture. It's time that we pay attention to the book. It's time to follow the voice of Jesus Christ. It's time to understand that he's the point of this. It's not to predict the future. It's not to try to read the tea leaves. It is to understand, to know, and to worship Jesus Christ. That's the point of the scripture. And we need to stop getting our wisdom from everywhere else in the world. Do we not do this? I mean, some of us are getting our wisdom from conspiracy theories. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you better pay attention to what you're, what you're listening to and reading. Half of it's not even real. Okay, just, just listen to that. But second of all, we're getting our, our, our information and our wisdom from academia, from the polit politicians, from news, from, from, uh, from popular books. We need to stop that, Christian, and get our wisdom from the Scripture. We need to get it from the Scripture. So Jesus is telling us to pay attention to God's Word. But he also says here in the next, past, next section, verse, beginning in verse 12, we need to pay attention to where our heart is, what we obey, what it is that we're obedient to. He says in verse 12, he says, Behold, I've come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Jesus is coming with rewards in his hand. He's going to have some rewards to give out. Now, this idea of rewards, I want to make sure that we talk about it the right way. I think of rewards as I get some ice cream when I get home because I've been a good boy and I get a reward. Well, there, that's the positive side of it, right? You get, you get good things, but you also get negative rewards. You do bad things and you get the reward of bad. So reward here is not just all positive. In fact, you'll see in these coming verses that there are rewards and what we might call condemnations. So he's got both of those in mind. Well, who gets to decide who gets what? Who gets to decide who gets the rewards, the good rewards, and who gets to decide who gets condemned? Who's deciding that? Well, we see in verse 13, it is the one who calls himself Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The one who is the A to Z, the one who starts it and ends it, the one who invented time, the one who invented everything that we know as reality. That is the one, the arbiter of all things. He is the one who gets to say. I know as some of you that weren't so good in school, you went up to the teacher that last day after you had failed to do, turn in any of the homework and failed to study for the test and 
failed to even show up for half the classes. You go up to the teacher and say, teacher, could I get a little extra credit? And they may, if they were kind, figure out how to give you something, to give you a little some extra to get you maybe a little closer to not failing so bad. That's not the kind of judge that Jesus is. You don't get any extra credit. There's going to be a time where you can throw everything that you ever had onto the altar and he's going to tell you it's not enough. He's going to not, he is the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate one. He does not give that extra little bit of credit. There, there are some, I hope none in this room, that might be able, might think that they can if they get in trouble with the law, that they can talk their way into the, the judge's chambers, maybe grease a little palm, have him look the other way. And that might happen, could happen, has happened before. But this judge is incorruptible. You cannot do that with this judge. He will make his judgment based on his judgment. Your opinion won't matter. Your view of things won't matter a bit. He is the just judge. He is the one making the call. And so here's Jesus, the start and the finish, the beginning and the end, the all, end all, be all. He says, I'm the one and I'm the one bringing the rewards so therefore, in verse 14, it's his final judgment. Verse 14 says, blessed are they that do his commandments. He says, first, obedience is blessed. If you obey the Lord, you will be blessed. Now, where this obedience comes from, you need to understand it comes from your heart. A very simple principle, you obey what you love. You obey what you love. If you love it, you do it. You love it, you do, what, that, do what, what is necessary. So if you love Jesus, who are you going to obey? You're going to obey Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said this in John uh, chapter 14, verse 15, where he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. So here we're seeing, simply seeing somebody that loves Jesus. So therefore, they're doing what he says. Did I say you're perfect in that? Of course, none of us are perfect in that. That's not the point of this. But simply to say that we are obeying with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how that happens. And he says, if that's you, if that's how you are, if you're, blessed, if you're obedient in that way, you'll be blessed because you'll have the right to the tree of life. You will have eternal life. That's what comes from the tree of life. You get eternal life. You will get to live forever. But not just anywhere, because you get to go enter into the gates of that city. Amen. If you were to go back a few pages, you would actually see that great city that's described. And do you know what? The, there's two things about that city that are amazing. Two things. One is, nothing bad can go in. You know what the other thing is? God himself dwells there forever among those people. So you, if you love Jesus and you obey Jesus, you get the reward of eternal life with God forever. That's what you get. If, on the other hand, your love is bent in a different direction. Remember what I said? If you love something, you're going to obey that thing. If your love instead is bent towards lusts and sin, lust and things that you want, your desires of your heart, he says, that's what you'll obey. So therefore, he says in verse 15, things like sorcery, that idea of numbing your mind or altering your mind, whether it's with the occult or with drug-induced drug, drug, uh, drug uh, changes to your mind, if that's what you're after, if that's the thing, that's the draw of your heart, if it's sexual impurity, whoremongering, 
if it is hate and hurt of other people, murder, if it is putting anything before God himself, idolatry, if it is deceit for the purpose of gaining something for yourself, loving to lie, if that is what the love of your heart is, you are bent to that and you desire that and therefore you obey that, he says there, those that are without are dogs. You're actually going to be treated like a dog. I was telling the folks uh, earlier, we have a, a Boston Terrier at our house. Now, forgive me if you love dogs and love Boston Terriers and little bitty dogs and all that. We have this fat, stinking, mean, hateful little dog that ain't so little. Now, we do that because we're crazy and we just have dogs in our house. I don't know if you have any right, if I even have a right to say anything about this, but let me just tell you, you ain't got good sense if you got a dog in the house. I've got a dog in the house and I don't have good sense. I'm just telling you that. But that's not uncommon in our culture, is it not? I mean, a lot of us, I, mean, I don't know about in this room necessarily, but a lot of folks do. They have little pup dog, puppy dogs, little, little pet dogs that they're, and they, they love them to death. Some of them call them <clears throat> their children. I don't understand all that stuff. But, but anyway, that, that's a thing in our culture, is it not? It's normal. Now, that's not the way it was in the ancient world. The dog, when you say dog, you're not seeing some little cute thing that you feed too much and you let sleep in the bed with you. That's not the way, that's not what that is. This dog is a street rover, literally walking all over the place, looking for garbage and scavenging and it's disease ridden. This thing is not something that you want in the front yard. You're not going to let it in your house. You're not going to let it anywhere near your family. You're going to keep it as far away from you as you possibly can. That's what the Bible's thinking of when it uses the word dog. So if we're the kind of people who love lust and sin, we want what, our, want what our heart wants and we pursue that and we obey those things, we will not even be let in, he says there, that you will be without. You'll be outside of that city. You will get, as Peter says in first, uh, 2 Peter 2, 13, the reward of your unrighteousness. You will get exactly what you want. You will get it and you won't be anywhere near God. You'll be far from that. Folks, what I'm getting, trying to get across to you, and I believe this is the, the gist that Jesus is getting across to us, and that is it's time to pay attention to what we obey and what we do with our lives. Do you yield your body servants to obey righteousness? John, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. Do you yield yourself servants to obey righteousness, or are you yielding yourself a servant to sin? Which one is it? And however you judge that, ultimately it doesn't matter how you judge it, but however God judge that, judges that, how will a holy and righteous God judge you? And you may say, well, Matthew, you understand, I, I'm, not, I'm not all that good. I'm trying the best I can. I, I believe in Jesus and I put my faith in him. Well, let me just ask you, when you stand before God, whose righteousness are you going to be clothed in? Are you going to come up and say, look at the life that I've lived and therefore let, judge me on that? Or are you going to say, like I know I'm going to say, is please don't judge me on my life. Please would you judge me on the life of Jesus Christ. And if we are judged on that, then we will be among those who are blessed because I have the obedience of my Savior. We'll be among those who are blessed because he is the one who saved us. But we must come to Christ with nothing in our hands that we bring, but simply to the cross that we cling. 
Jesus then goes on in verse 16. He really is now leading up to verse 20, which is that third section. But as a lead up to that, he begins to describe to us who he is. And he says who, I, who he is. He says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He is saying there that all this stuff that that angel is sharing with you, they're telling you exactly what I want them to know, tell you. Can I say it to you another way just to sort of help you understand what he's getting across? Every word that is in the scripture is God-breathed and it is authored by Jesus Christ himself. He is saying he is the one that is the author of all scripture. He is even going on to say there that I am the root and the offspring of David. He's the root. He is the, the core, the base, the, the, the pillar in the ground. He is the base of it all. He is the reason that everything exists. And he is the offspring. He is the one that actually came because he, he was born of a virgin. It was God, completely God, comes into man and completely man. And he is the God man who walks among us and gives himself a sacrifice, a, a, a redemption for us. He's that offspring, but he's also the root and offspring of David. Not an accidental mention by any means. There was a promise made in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that there would become one, there would come one who would crush the serpent's head. There would come one who would destroy the works of sin, the one that would overcome death, hell, and the grave. There would come one who would do those things. He was promised a seed that was promised all the way back in Genesis. And you see little glimpses of it, little bright blips of it all the way through the Old Testament and into the, and of course in the New Testament, he is revealed in his glory. He is that eternal seed and he is also that eternal king. David was promised in 2 Samuel that his kingdom would be a kingdom that would live forever. And David, of course, knew he wasn't going to live forever. Who was that going to be the one? Jesus was that one who would sit on that throne forever. And he says there that he is the bright and morning star. He's the light that's come into the world. John talks about this in John chapter 1 and verse 4. That in him was life and the light was the light of men. This Jesus, I'm not doing any justice in how to describe him to you. I hope you understand that he's everything that this world wants. Everything this world needs. He's exactly everything that your heart and your soul is longing for. He is the so, he is he is the very essence of the thing that you are not that you do not have the very thing everything that you even even things like hunger in your belly and thirst in your mouth are all signs to point you to the one who quenches thirst eternally who who solves hunger eternally that's all those things do they point you to that one but notice what the spirit and the bride say in verse seven they say come to him come to him. The spirit in the church, they're saying to come. He says, anybody that hears this, you can come. Just come, come, come to this one that is available. He's the one that everyone wants. He is the pure water. He is the pure bread. He is the pure light. He is the pure truth. He is the pure way. He is the life that you need. And you can drink deeply of Jesus. He is available. He says there, he says, and he can take water of life freely. Take as much as you need. Take it all. Take it all. The problem is, is we're not paying attention to Jesus because we're too busy going around sampling all the sewage pots of the world and saying, man, that sure does taste good. 
Man, that sure does taste good. I just need a little bit more. Let me get another, let me get another swallow of that. Let me get a little bit more of that, a little taste of that, a little more of that. When we're offered the very thing that's exactly what our bodies need, what our hearts need, what our minds need, we're offered that, yet we are going around sampling everything but the thing that we need. Who's coming soon? Well, of course, it's Jesus, and Jesus is the only one that's satisfied, and he's coming soon. He is coming soon. He satisfies, so why is it that we want to add stuff to him? That's why there's a warning in verse 18. So don't add anything to anything you're seeing here. Yes, I know he's talking about the, the prophecy specifically, scripture generally, but please understand what is the testimony of prophecy? What is the testimony of scripture but Jesus Christ? So he says, don't add anything to Jesus. This is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus would go to talk to them in Matthew 23, and he had to give them a what for in Matthew 23. He said, fellas, listen, you're burdening people. You're adding so many things on top of people. And by doing so, you're keeping them out of the arms of Jesus Christ, out of the arms of the Messiah, out of the arms of the one who saves them. You're adding so many things. You're keeping these people and you're hurting these people. And I want you to understand that Jesus satisfies so much that you don't need anything else. He's the one. He's the one you must run to and only the one you must run to. And when we try to add other things on top of it, unfortunately, we're missing the very thing that we want. In verse 19, he goes the other way and says, you don't want to take away from the words of this book. If Jesus is satisfying, why in the world do we want to miss what he's offering to us? Pharisees did this too. He said there, you guys are paying tithes. You're, you're going to the synagogue. You're, you're, you're doing all the religious ritual things. But he says in verse 23 of Matthew 23, you omit the weightier matters of the law of judgment and mercy and faith. He says, you're doing some of these things, but you're leaving out the important stuff. If Jesus satisfies, you know what that means? Your heart loves him. You want to obey him. And when your heart loves him and you want to obey him and the Holy Spirit fills you up, the Bible, the whole testimony of scripture, there's so many other things, but just summary for you, you're going to love each other. You're going to have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5. You're going to obey the scripture. You're going to do what Jesus says in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow him. The problem is we're not paying attention to Jesus because we're chasing every other thing, every other Messiah on the planet. And Jesus says, no, look, look, behold, I'm coming quickly. I'm the one coming quickly. And then he, so he says in verse 20, surely I come quickly. As I close, I just want to ask you, how are you going to respond to that? We know that Jesus is coming. We, I hope that I've given you at least enough both evidence and explanation here to, to understand what Jesus is talking about in this passage, that he's coming and he's coming quickly. I hope I've given you that. The question isn't just to have a, an exercise where you learn information. The question now becomes, what do you want to do to that or with that? Unfortunately, too many of us are responding out of ignorance, false religion, fear. Fear is one thing that we often respond to this as. I remember myself hearing messages on Jesus coming back and the, it troubled my heart. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, is it ready? Oh my goodness, is this has got to be this way. But the problem was because I wasn't looking to Jesus to come back. You see, if, 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 if your sampling of the world's sewers, if you're living as if 
whatever you want is the thing that needs to happen and there's no payday for it. If, you, if you're acting as if what, that there's nothing going on and there'll never be an end, if you're acting like that, then the very, very last thing you want is to see Jesus coming in the clouds. Do you know why? Because Jesus is not your God. There's some other God that you're worshiping. And you don't ever want that God to leave you. You want that God to be right there as close to you as you can. But if you'll ever get your heart settled on Jesus, I'm not saying you'll never have fears. I'm not saying you'll never have doubts. Those things always happen to human beings. But if you'll ever get your heart settled on Christ and the love of your heart is to him, when you think about Jesus is coming soon, you ain't got it all figured out, but there ought to be a little jump in your heart. Can I just give you this illustration to help you understand what I'm talking about? If you're, saying, you're sitting there saying, I just don't know, Matthew. Let me give you this. I remember one, a few years ago, I went to Africa with my dad. My dad does a lot of mission work in, a lot of, in East Africa. Um, really got to spend some time with him over there. I was gone for about, <clears throat> I guess, two and a half weeks, something like that. Long story short, I get on a plane coming back home, two eight-hour flights, and then another two or three-hour flight from Detroit coming down to Greensboro. And I remember, as much as I enjoyed the time in Africa, I really did. It was a good time. I'd like to go back again sometime. But I remember thinking, man, I'm going to get to see Vanessa soon. And some of y'all, that might be a nightmare. But for me, <laughs> for me, man. My heart would jump a little bit. Whew. Now, gentlemen, if your heart don't jump a little bit about Jesus coming back, then go ahead and tell your wife that your heart don't jump when she comes in the room. And I'm talking about in a good way. Go ahead. Do you understand what I'm talking about now a little bit? Do you understand a little bit? A little bit. It's just, it's an imperfect illustration, but it's a little bit of what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you got it all figured out, but there ought to be a little jump in your heart. If he ain't your God, then that might explain it. But if he is, then that'll, that'll, put, some, that'll put some joy Amen. in you. So I'm inviting you today to respond ultimately how John does. Look with me in verse 20. This is what John says. As a result of Jesus saying, surely I come quickly, John says, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. There ought to be an eager, humble, but eager, faithful expectation, an awareness that our Savior is soon returning, soon coming. And he's going to, even though he is already one that we worship, even though he's one we already obey, he's already one we go to for satisfaction, there will come a moment when we will have him eternally in our presence. He will be with us, dwelling among us every moment, all the time. We look forward to that day where our the water of life quenches our thirst on a constant, regular basis. And you know what that's called? That's called salvation for the unbeliever. And that's joy for the believer. I'm encouraging you, and I am closing. I'm, the real sign of closing is I'm putting my Bible up. But my encouragement to you is to drink deeply of Jesus. Not when you get to heaven, but now. He's coming soon. Are you ready?